You are listening to Queer Conversation brought to you by Lotto. B.T. Nayani, film director, and Maureen Grant, a queer film editor, discuss the making of their feature film, This Place. Fates collide in a Toronto laundromat when a chance encounter sees love blossom between a young Tamil woman and a Moak Iranian woman. Let's take a listen. So, what's your story? Um, I just moved here and I'm still adjusting to city life and I'm looking to connect with some family. What's the matter? Something is up with you, I can tell. Can you imagine just being okay with being forgotten or unacknowledged? Disappearing feels good sometimes. Learning to make room for forgiveness. Who are you trying to forgive? I shouldn't be the one feeling for the both of us. Why can't you just understand I'm not ready? I really don't want to lose you. Especially now. Hi, my name is VT Naini. I am a Tamil director, writer, born and raised in Toronto. Hi, my name is Maureen Grant. I'm a queer filmmaker, a picture editor specifically, living and working in Toronto. We're here for Queer Screen Mardi Gras Film Festival for the international premiere of our feature film, This Place. Give us give us an, a, a quick overview to start off with. It's a queer love story. It kind of unravels, as the story unravels, the two characters, as they're falling in love, are also discovering things about themselves, their own identities, and kind of relating their sense of place to the city of Toronto as they get to know each other. So it's a really layered kind of nuanced story about queer love. Yeah, and I think it's also a multi-generational story. It's about, it is a queer love story, and it's a story about love in all of its manifestations. So again, with place, with family, both of them are children of refugees from Iran and Sri Lanka. So they're reconciling with their fathers in different ways. So the kind of alignment of refugee experiences on Indigenous land that's been stolen. And one of the characters is half Iranian, half um, Mohawk, Indigenous of any First Nation in Canada, or as we know, Canada or Turtle Island. And so, you know, what does it mean to be the child of refugees? What does it mean to be the child of someone who is Indigenous to the land? What conversations happen between them? What complications arise? all while falling in love for the first time. So it's about grief and joy and love and family. And it's at the intersection of so many different experiences, not only between themselves, but the community and families around them. First thing that I thought was, it's interesting that both are coming from quite different cultural backgrounds, yet they are connecting. They seem to have the same challenges. Yeah. And they're connecting through those challenges, regardless of their culture. Yeah, that was very intentional. I mean, Devry Goshen and I, Governor Heavy, Devry Jacobs, Goshen Abdumale, they're my co-writers on the film. So we worked on the film together for about three years. Um, and one of the things that we kept talking about was a story like that can only happen in a big city like Sydney or Toronto or New York, you know, cities where so many different experiences and walks of life cross paths with each other. And when you do come together in spaces like that, in places like that, you start to realize how much we do share and where we do obviously differ. Um, and so, you know, despite all of us coming, Devry is Mohawk, Goshen is Iranian, 
you know, she came as a refugee with her parents to Toronto. My parents were refugees from Sri Lanka. So, you know, we seemingly have very different experiences coming from different parts of the world, all of us from different continents and places in the world. But when we all arrive in Toronto, as well as Debbie herself, she comes from the res outside of Montreal, another major city in Canada. So when we all arrive in Toronto, um, we're all we're all new to that space to some degree. And, you know, as young women, young racialized women growing up um, and coming together in that space, we start to realize that there are alignments in our journey and there's um, shared histories, of course, like colonial histories that have impacted our families. And so it felt like it was a perfect way to show, um, you know, where our lives differ, but where they come together in ways that people may not expect or think is seemingly, you know, easy. It actually is. There are so many ways we converge with each other. This film has been shown in Toronto last year. Yes. Mm -hmm. What was the response so far? Oh my God. <laughs> Because it was a hometown screening, it was really special. It was a packed house, a really warm audience, so much love and support. You know, all of our friends and community yeah. were there and it was very uh, lively and really well received. We're so lucky. Yeah, you yeah. never really like You hope that, I mean, we have, it was so lucky to have a, a, a large, you know, world festival like TIFF at home. But for us, it's a home festival. And to be able to screen at home when the world is visiting is so powerful mm -hmm. um, because people who are not from Toronto were at those screenings and could see, like, what is possible with, like, a Toronto home audience and how we come together for stories we don't often get to see because, truthfully, like, a story like ours hasn't been at TIFF before. And so it was just really, it was a room full of love. It was three sold-out screenings. It was bigger than we imagined it possible. We were just mm -hmm. hoping we'd have a nice premiere and people would get to see the film. <laughs> and then we had the opportunity to share the room with such wonderful audiences who had such thoughtful and nuanced and loving questions. And um, we all got to be part of it, which was really special. Mm -hmm. Like, almost the entire cast and crew got to be there, which isn't the case. Like, we're here for a career screen. It was so amazing. But it's just the two of us. I would love for our cast and crew to be here and experience this festival. But um, that's what that home screening gave us. It felt, yeah, and it, the comment that I kept getting was that we don't see stories like this very often. And it was really special and very specific to Toronto, but also could be applied to so many other places. Yeah. It's always very hard to, to come out um, within a culture that is very conservative, it's it's an, an additional hurdle. So it would be really liberating for a lot of women coming from those cultures to actually see themselves represented on screen like this. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what we heard. I mean, one of the decisions we made early on, um, and I think it was, you know, Devry and Goshen both were like, they didn't want to be, they didn't want the coming out of the characters in the film to be a source of tension or grief. We wanted to see... We wanted to create, you know, worlds. We wanted to imagine mm -hmm. what could be better. What's a what's an ideal situation? What's a beautiful, loving situation in which, you know, you're able to share who you love and your family doesn't react poorly. You know, they're they're supportive, and we want more of that. So we tried to reflect that in the film, even if that's not always the case. And um, I think that that really resonated with a lot of. Um, particularly like young, you know, women of color, queer women of color, queer kids of color who just, um, whether their experiences have been, you know, more challenging or, you know, really supportive, 
that you know they they feel like this kind of story that reflects them hasn't been told in this mm -hmm. way especially kids who are mixed race from different um racialized communities you know we had one young woman on instagram of all places who hasn't seen the film yet but found out about it she's iraqi and mohawk um which is not exactly the same but close enough and she's like i never she was commenting i never thought that like i would see an iranian mohawk story like me and my siblings are iraqi mohawk and so those are the things that like really you know it's wonderful for lots of audiences to see it and you know diverse audiences but i think the most beautiful thing that makes us emotional that we've cried about and felt the most joy is is the people that feel that they've been reflected in the film um you hope that it will resonate and you never know you know and you you hope that you do right by folks and so i just i think the most joyous that and also the elders that surprise you right because i think we were anticipating at our home screening that elders from our communities and other communities might be you know, uh, uncomfortable, their homophobia, their, you know, their, their transphobia, all of their phobias, all of their, like, isms would come out. And actually, like, we had heard such beautiful responses. Like, my father himself was, like, at the end, and he's a very quiet guy, so you never know what he's thinking. He was like, that was such a beautiful love story. And I thought, like, this is the power of cinema, too, right? Like, you sit with these characters for an hour and a half as someone who I'm sure in his world he doesn't think he knows a lot of queer folks, but I know that they're around him. So for him to sit with that and hear a story and watch two people fall in love and, like, honor it for what it is, I think that's also the beauty of it. People being seen, but people also learning to hold space for more than they thought they could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the special things about the way this film was made, too, was that the writers uh, themselves and their points of view were constantly... Um, considered during the process of the edit you know we would constantly send cuts and scenes back to them to make sure you know the language was correct or you know the right the right amount of information was there you know as you take lines out and things you know fluctuate but we were always kind of in check and uh, making sure that things felt good for the entire team and I know that that's the way Nani runs her productions as well and is a really like thoughtful great communicator with a community spirit and i think that's a really special kind of like new way that films are being made um not just from one specific point of view but kind of from like almost like a, a community point of view or like a you know consultations with with collaborators and yeah i i think that's just really unique i come from community work and um we were just talking about this before we got here is everyone is I mean, I could never, that's the reason I in, brought Devery on in the first place and Golshan joined is because even if I have an, I, I had an idea about, a, you know, friendship or a relationship between a young daughter of refugees and a young indigenous woman. Um, but I don't know that perspective and I could learn so much from someone who is from the community. And so that's how Devery became involved. And Golshan is a longtime friend. That's how she got involved. And so, you know, there is no way I could tell someone else's story. And we learned so much about each other. And we prepared ourselves for the questions that would come once the film was out because we had to have difficult conversations. All of us, we had to yeah. have challenging conversations, hold space for um, just for us to be honest and open and transparent and not be afraid to ask the questions that we don't know the answers to that someone else might get upset with us about. We were just, I think we created collectively this like very loving and open space that allowed mm -hmm. us all to learn from each other as we were um, nurturing this film into existence. Mm -hmm. It required a lot of like thought and 
conversation, I think. We sat together for the most part. Um, you know, I didn't work alone often because it required so much conversation around, like, if we lost a line, what would that mean? And sometimes lines in Tamil would mean something very different from the translation that we would have. And there, or there was nuance to that language that I wouldn't be aware of. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like, everyone was so integral to it looking like and feeling like and sounding like exactly what we ended up with. And Can you tell us something that happened behind the scene? That It took a long time to finish it. I will yeah. say, like, you know, the nature of being a film in the pandemic was, you know, we shot our we shot most of it in 2019 and we were supposed to shoot these pickup dates, you know, the same year. And, you know, it's an indie film, so there's budget issues and other challenges. And then we get to 2020 when we're planning to shoot the pickups and we can't shoot, we can't film because, you know, everything is locked down. Canada had one of the most, I think, the longest ongoing lockdowns in, in Toronto, especially. So yes. there was no opportunity to shoot it. So we ended up not filming the rest of it until 2021. Everybody has aged two years, aged because of the pandemic. <laughs> Everyone, Devry is like, was already a star, but by the time we were shooting, she was on a big show on FX called Reservation Dogs. She was shooting um, a Marvel series. So it was just, we're competing with different timelines. Priya, who, her book is coming out, Your Driver is Waiting. I'm going to plug that for her, but she has a book coming out, Harper Collins. She was in the middle of like finishing her book and her master's, like, it's just everyone was in a different space. And I know one of our characters, uh, Jamal, he had his hair. He had like no hair, short hair. And then he had braids by the end, like two years later. So we had to like put a beanie on him. Like we just had to be everyone worked together to make it work as best we could. Lighting obviously makes a big difference. And um, we had the same cinematographer, Connor Fisher. So I think having the same person shooting both, um, he knows them well. And, and so it helps. It's like everybody collectively working to be like, people might notice, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to use the lighting to our advantage. But it, it was a shift. Yeah, it was mm. a shift. Honestly, I think if you're engaged in the story, you can let a lot of those details go and maybe yeah. you won't even notice them. Yeah. I mean, we just, I don't, yeah. I don't think that was perceived at all. No. So it took very long and it was a big shift to wait mm -hmm. two years to film something that's supposed to happen within the course of like, let's see, a couple of weeks. So that was challenging. I think we face a lot of the indie challenges that everybody does. Not enough money, you know, roles shifting with time. Um, not enough money. <laughs> it's always not enough money. Um, and we are growing. We've shifted so much. You know, again, dealing with the pandemic, people have been through unimaginable things. And so I think um, we grew up in a particular way with the film. And it, it just evolved. It continued to evolve with the score, as, especially. It's kind of like, you know, you kind of in post, you imagine what it could or might sound yeah. like and what the tone might be. And, you know, is is it orchestral is it simple how does this film yeah. feel like those are the things that you're deciding yeah. on and that requires a lot of snacks yeah. a lot of walks around the block yeah. you know yeah. and uh i had it at home and so uh, i live with my partner and i have a studio there and so it's a very we call it the artist residency <laughs> it's like we have a lot of filmmakers come and stay with us yeah. and hang out you know for weeks yeah. or months on end and um it's just it takes it takes a lot of like quiet careful thinking and trying trial and error i guess of music yeah um, we got really lucky with Calais, and it is so interesting because we talk about the collective of, and most of the people a large majority of people involved work are queer artists technicians 
And in some cases, we didn't know they were queer. They just got involved. And then we find out, like, uh, you know, Kalaisen himself mm-hmm. is a queer man of color. It's also Tamil, like myself. And, you know, just like you have people who are from the communities that are in the film, whether they be South Asian or Middle Eastern or indigenous or queer, like just so many different intersections of communities. And they are all because they're also from those communities. I think it makes it overall so authentic and unique because everyone is bringing their particular lived experience in their bodies to this film, mm-hmm. which we were really privileged to have, you know, the people that we did, especially in the creative side yes. of things. Yeah. I think the the final song, too, that never changed because yeah. it was just so perfect. Yeah, Casey. Um, Casey uh an amazing Toronto-based uh, musician who's queer as well. Um, the the first couple of lyrics of the songs are the song is um, through loving I'm discovering details about myself, and it's about um, their lived experience as a queer uh, immigrant or person of color in Canada, and it really just that was it. We just always knew that was the song. And Maureen picked it, and you know it's always a risk. You pick a song, and you're like, might not get it, but Casey was amazing and said yes right away, and. You know, that it speaks to her experience, the experiences as well, you know, especially in Toronto. So, yeah, I think, like, we could talk about so many hardships, which I think all filmmakers can speak to, especially when working independently. But when you look back, like, yes, you'll remember the hardships, but you remember, we. I think I will always remember how privileged I feel to have worked with the artists that I have, both directly and indirectly, who contributed something to the film. How can people go and watch it? Our team is working on our our distribution in different territories. So hopefully we can, maybe through these two screenings, can lock in um, Australia and and make sure that the film is seen. I mean, that's the most important part to us. You know, we have uh, have distribution in our home country and, um, you know, and other locations are coming together. And we just want people to see the movie. I mean, we make the movie so people can see. We didn't make an independent film to make money. <laughs> we made an independent. You know, we're still paying ourselves back, but we made an independent film that we love and believe in, so that our communities and so many different communities actually, which is so beautiful, get to see this film. Um, so yeah, we'll be at Queer Screen for the two dates, and then um, in Melbourne next month, and hopefully a lot more to come. <laughs> Excellent, great. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing an overview of the film. Thank you. And one last question yeah. for each of you. Can you think of a film which you would have loved directing or have written? I'm going to go with an Australian film for the moment. I, I love The Babadook. Loved it. Um, it's a, a horror film. Just a thrilling, captivating, compelling story. And it's just beautifully done. Um, It's been a while since I've seen it, but I was thinking about Australian cinema today. So I'll go with that. Yeah, I think I have two. I will say one film that really inspired this film visually and uh, tonally is um, Dee Reese's Pariah. Um, uh, It's out of the U.S. And I just think she's a phenomenal filmmaker, phenomenal queer black woman filmmaker. And visually, it's just like hard to believe it was her first feature um, the cinematographer on it is actually a mentor of mine, Bradford Young, and I think they just collectively did such an incredible job for an indie film that's so sensitive and nuanced. So honestly, mm-hmm. I wish I could have, if mm-hmm. I could have made this place, that would, like, that's the inspiration in so many ways, that and Moonlight, and there's, you know, mm-hmm. films, particularly by black, black uh, filmmakers in the U.S. and black queer filmmakers that have inspired our work um, on this film. So 
Pariah is wonderful, and I wish I could have made that. And I love 10 Things I Hate About You. I grew up in the <laughs> 90s and 2000s. I think it's an excellent retelling of The Taming of the Shrew. I am a rom-com kid. You know, I, I love teen comedies. So um, I do hope to do films like that one day. I love drama, but I also love comedy and levity. And I think um, the work of writers like Nora Ephron and Kiwi Smith and so many others have inspired me women writers and directors so I would have loved to make a 90s teen comedy thank you for listening to queer conversation your podcast for all things queer my name is Silke Bader until next time <laughs>